Welcome to Shoot the Breeze, where we take a nostalgic look at a random football magazine from the past. I'm Andy Smith, aka Scotch Footy Cards on Twitter, and with me is Tom Brogan. Hello. In each episode, we'll invite a special guest to join us trawling through the magazine, and we'll discuss anything contained within it. This could be anything from an article, to a photo, to a competition, to an advert. Basically, if it's in it, we'll talk about it. So sit back, and let's shoot the breeze. Wriggles clear. Might just get the chip and he does, he's scored! Oh, what a great back Our special guest this week is Stuart Rear. Stuart, thanks for joining us. Good evening, yes, uh, glad to be here. Brilliant. I'm um, just going to read a wee bit of your, your bio here. Um, Stuart Weir is a media and PR consultant who is an award-winning journalist, was a staff writer with the Evening Times, former chief sports writer of the Scottish Mirror and former head of sport for the Herald and Times Group. A trustee of the foundation of the My Name is Doddy in May 2020, 18, and he embarked on co-writing Doddy's best-selling autobiography, My Name's Doddy, completing the book from the first interview and releasing just five months. Um, so, well done on that. <laughs> now, some people are actually quite disbelieving of that. You know, they, they think it's taken about a year and five months. No, no, definitely five months. No, but it's great to have you here. So, Thank you. Um, thanks for coming along. So, our, uh, it's a special Christmas edition. So, ho, ho, ho. you know, ding dong merrily and hi. We've got a Match magazine, Match Weekly this week. It's actually on the 25th of December, 1982. So, we're spot on Christmas Day. Um so we've got the magazine in front of us. Um, the front page has it's a, a drawing um, of various yep. footballers. It's a it's a it's a it's a collage. This is this and this dates this magazine before you had things like Apple Max. Because mm -hmm. if if Apple Max had been in the go, that would have been a montage of actual photographs and action shots. Mm -hmm. Whereas because it's thirty seven years ago. It's basically a, a, a sketch, a drawing of, of some of the, the stars and superstars of uh, 1982. Yeah, and it's actually by the artist uh, Steve McGarry, um, who was born in 53 in Manchester. Um, he's also a former record sleeve designer, and one of his records that he designed was actually Joy Division. Uh, he was at college with Rob Gretton, he was right. Joy, Joy Division's manager. Okay, um, he was also a story artist on Despicable Me Too, Minions and the Secret Life of Pets, and basically he is a cartoonist god. He's been living in California since 1989, so a lot of the illustrations in the Match magazines and some in the shoot as well that I've seen over the past is from Steve McGarry, so... You know. he's, still into, he's done a picture book of Sean Connery. Sean Connery, is that Which right? you can buy off his website. I have to say the fact that you can actually recognise these players as to who they actually are. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Basically, basically tells clear. you that this guy's actually quite good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not like it's not like something you look at and you sort of, you know, something that you post up online. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'll get into that later it's on. But it, 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 it's like you can actually tell who these, you know, guys are. Sort of Glenn Hoddle, David Cross, um, Gordon Strachan, Graham Souness, Paul Mariner. Graham Ricks. Graham Ricks. And that's only one of them. Steve Coppel. Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, they're actually all, the, the link between them as well is that they actually all contribute to Match yep. Magazine as well. So that's what they're in there. Now, it's interesting, 35 pence was the magazine. Now, we do this thing where we, we do a, um, a calculator, what it would be, and it actually comes out as 175. Now, what we, we tend to say is 175 
taking in inflation into account is fair enough, but you wouldn't pay £1.75 for this magazine nowadays if it was, you know, it'd be in the three, four, five pound mark easily, yeah. I think, if you were going to pay for that. So I think just taking an inflation calculative, you know, um, view just doesn't give you the real cost of it. I mean, it's it's, it's action-packed. Um, I think there's something like 48 pages or something in this one. Um, I'd be quite, I mean, I'd be more than happy paying £1.75 for this in today's money. The, 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 the big thing is, since back then, the, the whole thing about production within magazines and printed titles has been transformed because a lot of the photographs that you would use in here that might be kicking around 10 a penny, it's now huge agencies that have all the archives for the photographs. Mm. So therefore, if it's somebody like Getty Images, I mean, they charge like a wounded rhino, yeah. and and they're also, you know, they're, they're quite fond of a bit of litigation a, a, along the way. So again, you, you your costs and overheads are just driven up by the fact you ha you have to use, you know, photographs. Mm -hmm. So Match Magazine itself um, was first published seventy nine September seventy nine, um, and it came out obviously against Shoot Magazine. So. Initially, the circulation was shoot was much higher than match, so it didn't really make a dent on it. But it was in the mid nineties, I think, where it was sort of reinvented and republished, and it then took over then. But I think by that point, shoot was in a bit of a, a downwards trajectory anyway. So I think match got to be in the lead just at the time that everything else was sort of um, coming down south. Um, so and also around that time, that that, that same time magazines became a little bit more niche. So you had, you know, Gazetta Italia yeah. magazine, um, the place I worked in Bristol was actually, they were the, the desk next to me, sort of type thing. So again, mid-90s into the late 90s, I was working for Total Football, which mm -hmm. was all glossy, yeah. you know, really high-end, high-quality. Um, they had also had Total Rugby. Um, and again, magazines were in vogue then because people would actually still go and buy something tangible. Nobody had a mobile phone or mm -hmm. internet or any of these kind of Wi-Fi things. So you actually had to buy something that you could actually read in your hand. Yeah. yeah. So we'll, we'll take a wee delve inside, shall we? Um, so page two and three. So we'll, we've splashed it out. Was, it was. Double page, <laughs> double-sided, we've splashed out. So England have just basically thrashed Luxembourg 9-0. Um, and so they're, they're having a, a chat about that but the match are basically saying don't get carried away Luxembourg are probably the worst team that England will ever face so again England have a good result but I, I think one thing that's been constant through the years is that the press just don't really let them have that good result no. it's always yeah but just calm yourselves down it wasn't that good but then when they get a good result there's always something negative that the press can, can take from it it's, it, it, it's always, for me, quite remarkable how negative the English press are about their national football team. This probably goes back to 1966 and actually winning the World Cup and that sets the benchmark yeah. and anything that comes thereafter is, is rank rotten or rubbish. Mm -hmm. So even though you're performing, you've got great players and, and really you're, you're punching your weight, so to speak, in reaching semi-finals or quarter-finals, these guys that actually cover, you know, England never ease up and never relent. Mm -hmm. So one of the one of the things that's talked about in the articles here is um, 
He says, soccer chiefs are slammed for playing Russian roulette with England's international future. So before the game, the weekend, England are still playing internationals at the weekend and then they're playing, or sorry, the, the league are playing fixtures at the weekend and then they're playing important internationals. Okay, Luxembourg isn't. But, I mean, this is something which is rearing its head. It seems to rear its head every year or every two years or something. It's like... What can we do to improve the chances? I know we'll have a week off, we'll have... And, and this is back in 1982, and this, we're still having that conversation today. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, let, let's have a weekend weekend off, let's have the week off and prepare properly, make sure there's no injuries or gives time to improve. And even back then, this was still going on. Um, I think Terry Butcher did say that there was a, there was a game previously that they had... I think it was a friendly that they played in, and they've been given this time off and they won, you know, quite comfortably. So, I mean, he's pointing towards that and he points towards the fact that at the World Cup, they're spending all this time together. So they're developing this bond, this understanding. So again, it points to the more time they spend together, the, the better the team and, you know, the better the the, the rapport that, that happens in, which makes sense. Um, and to be honest, I don't know why we don't do that. You know, it's like... We, we moan and we complain about, you know, what can we do to improve the Scottish game? What can we do to improve the international game? And it just seems to me a simple thing. Before any internationals, let's make sure all our, our guys aren't playing. But it's a bit like the the kind of option they're looking at in terms of having a week off, getting into the, the, the playoffs in March. Surely if you are targeting qualification you have to cover all eventualities. My problem with that is you don't wait until mid-season before you then start marking on your calendar that this could be a free... A, yeah, you might need to yeah. take a free week. Who, who are the legislators? If you're doing your job, you are planning so far in advance. You know, I get things in from um, from um, the rugby authorities who are equally criticised, but they know their programme for 2021. You know, the, the, the lines are going to South Africa... And I know it's a big, um, a, a big assignment, but they printed their fixtures up last week, so you know, eighteen months in advance what you're going to be doing, yeah. and therefore you can you, you can prepare. Everything seems to in, in Scotland, especially, just seems to be such a shock. Yeah, How yeah. did this happen? You know, <laughs> you know, we I didn't mean, expect this, but oh, we've actually qualified for something. But, but, but it, it raises a good point. I mean, because I I hear of these people who their title is fixture secretary. You think well. What what else are you doing if you're not, you know, looking yeah. at w- what fixtures are coming up? And you know, surely you're not just saying, "Well, I know what's coming up in the next week, the next two weeks." That's right. Your, your pre-planning, your pre-planning has to be as such that if you if you can decide that the end of the season is going to be such and such a date because you might qualify for a tournament that summer, surely that's your starting point to work back from. Mm-hmm. If that if that's your ultimate goal and you know when that's taking place, surely then all of your considerations are in and around qualifying for that tournament. Therefore, it, it, it's not just something that's it's sprung upon you or sprung yeah. upon you as a fan. Absolutely. Okay, so the, one of the other things I'm just pointing out from this article is that Match describes Luther Blissett as the black bombshell, mm. which you know <laughs> that was kind of thing that was quite prevalent in that era. Mm-hmm. Of it still is in Italy just now, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> it was that Black Friday, Black Friday headline yeah, recently, yeah. yeah. 
So if we move on to page four and five, this is Christmas with the stars. Now, when you open that up, the first thing that obviously takes your attention is... <laughs> yeah. Like a picture of Farrah Fawcett. Far, no, no, at this point it's just Farrah Fawcett Major. Farrah Fawcett Major, yeah, so, so you can age it that way. So, you know, looking at that instantly, you think, who's a bit of a geezer? The one of these is saying, you know, basically I'm being asked the question, what do you want in your... your your stalking from Santa and somebody that somebody you know has said Farrah Fawcett Majors but we'll get to that um, so what we have here is a selection of stars who have been asked Christmas questions um, John Richards of Wolves David Moss of Luton Town Lou McCary of Man United Tony Morley of Aston Villa and Eric Gates of Ipswich Town now we'll have a look at the questions and now what I think we'll do since it's Christmas I think we'll see we'll go around the table and maybe ask ourselves here what the answers would be so starting with you, Stuart, so where would you like to spend Christmas Day? I am quite happy behind a locked door at home. It's it's um, it's a, the one kind of day that you think to yourself, everything else gets switched off, um, including the TV at times, <laughs> and you basically just want a, a bit of peace and quiet and, and tranquility to um, spend the time with uh, your own your own folk. So... Mm. Uh, that would be. Uh, I think John Richards basically said that you know at home. I can't think of anywhere better to spend on Christmas Day. I, I would agree with him. Absolutely. So I be, that that's essentially going to answer your next question as well. So where will you spend Christmas Day? I'll be in Dubai. <laughs> 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 okay. No, I will be at home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so who would you most like to spend Christmas Day with? Well, I see these guys. Are, from far I, I see yeah. these guys have basically had, uh, have mostly, you know, mentioned uh, comedians and, and the likes. Listen, uh, I'm all for that, but again, I think a lot of this is it's the one day that a great many people who work in different, you know, different jobs and different roles and all the rest of it. It's the one day that they can actually say, "I want to spend this with certain individuals from my my own family and friends." Um, and again, I think that for me is quite quite important. Yeah. You know, I've got I've, I've got two elder daughters, um, one through her husband's tied up, and it's a, the busiest time of the year for them because it's the middle of the panto season. Mm -hmm. I have another daughter who um, uh, works. Um, for the NHS is um, is a, a, a theatre operative um, in in Wishaw, and she doesn't really get many Christmases off. So any anything that sees her getting a day off at that, I'm actually quite pleased about. No, that's great. I mean, for me, I think it's definitely a family thing. If you, if if you can, it's about spending just down in tools, as you say. I mean. It's 24-7, 364 days a year, really constant, isn't it? So it's, it's nice to have that one day where you can just say, like, I will... Except the world of newspapers. So Christmas Day is a, a working day. Ah. Because, you know, you get you, you suddenly, you go, you go to a party and somebody said, you, you were working today? Why are you working today? Because agents like you want to buy papers and boxing day <laughs> for no apparent reason. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the, 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 the day you get off is Christmas Eve. Because you don't print papers on, uh, on on Christmas Day. Is that still the case? It's still the case. Yeah, yeah. But again, you you do wonder if if there is just going to be some sort of seismic shift on that one mm -hmm. at some point. When are they still going to be printing papers? Yeah. And secondly, the the whole thing about digital or online presence, that the, you know it, it is twenty four seven, mm. three hundred and sixty five days a year. So there's there's no let up. 
and you know people you can still work from home but ultimately um you end up working from a, an office and you know i couldn't think of Dubai. anything worse <laughs> well it's, it's fine if you can do that but again <laughs> but again somebody somebody has to man the desk yeah and even even a, you know going back a couple of years ago when um it worked out that, that we could actually take um a, an extra day off in between you get everybody in on the saturday after the game completed the entire newspaper and all it took was somebody actually pressing the button on the Sunday to send the Monday paper out. Mm -hmm. So it was one guy. Yeah. We weren't going to touch it after that because basically there was nothing happening. So again, sometimes it works in your favour, but I think, I, I, I still think there's people going to be called upon in, in all uh, lines of work. And, you know, my my sympathies goes out to them. Yeah, quite right. Any, anybody out there at the moment who's working in the newspaper industry on Christmas Day, we really feel sorry for you that you have to work so there we go but celebrate you're still working in the newspaper industry <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah, there is still a newspaper industry yeah. so what present would you most like to get at Christmas oh, for, the, for the man who's got everything it would need it would need, it would need to be something exotic and I'm looking at this picture of Farrah Fawcett Major <laughs> but she wouldn't come close to something with just remember it. you've got two questions here one is what would you like and one is what you're going to get well I know so, I, I think I know what I'm going to get but um it's uh, I think it's anything anything to do with four wheels would um, be greatly pleased me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I know the, you're a petrol head. Yes, yeah, the, absolutely. <laughs> the quicker and more powerful, the better. Yeah. So, and what are you going to get for Christmas? Oh, I think I'm going to get something a little bit different, like a chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. Yeah. Is that is that true? Uh, yeah, I, I is, mean, is there a reason that you need well, a chainsaw? I, it was uh, yeah, there is because I do a lot of cutting up of wood. I should add at this point in time, just in case the local constabulary... Is, that, is that why there's a quote about, I place it in just behind bomb disposal and juggling chainsaws? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So was it just uh, no. plucked out of fresh it, No, it's, uh, it's, for a, it's for a very good purpose and a very good reason. Excellent. Okay, so um, so we'll, we'll just have... A, I mean, you've touched on um, some of their answers there, so we can touch on John Richards. So his, um, he's going to spend it at home. Um, Les Dawson is who he would like to spend Christmas with, but he's going to spend it with his wife and two girls instead, and it's obviously a, a bit of a hardship for him. Um, what he would like for Christmas is a couple of goals for Derby. He's on loan there at the moment from Wolves, and champagne to celebrate. Um, and he comes up with people to um, realise the responsibilities to football and be just as forthcoming with praise as with criticism, and that is for his... What, or what would you like for Christmas for, for, for football, football yeah. um, which well, it seems a bit of a strange thing to he's obviously taken a bit of stick I think um, but we'll go with that so next up is David Moss who, he's from Whitney but he says that he'd like to spend a big posh hotel so his wife doesn't need to cook so there's brownie points there um, he'd like to spend it with Cannon and Ball which um, I, I have a, a bit of a I remember enjoying Cannonball when I was a wee boy, but um, I've got this event that happened which sort of has coloured me against them. Um, it was my 16th birthday, and I had a wee bit of cash to spend, you know, relative cash. And um, so I'm like, what am I going to do? And my best friend at the time said, let's go see Cannonball in Glasgow. And I'm like, oh, no, nah, I don't want to go see Cannonball. So I, get, I basically gave in, went to see Cannonball, and I just... It was my 16th birthday, I went to see Cannon and Ball. Anticlimax. Uh, 
it was more disappointing than that. Honestly, I'd, I'd rather have done anything else than that. But um, So David goes on, he, he would like a new BMW car for Christmas. Um, fair enough. And his present for football, he'd like to end hooliganism. And he would like 15 goals. So, you know, it's still been a wee bit personal there. Uh, Lou McCarry. So... Lou scored 91 goals in two seasons for Celtic Reserve, so that, that's actually quite an impressive stat for, for Lou there before he, he went to the first team. Um, There's a few guys made their name with Celtic Reserves over a period of time mm-hmm. who scored a phenomenal amount of oh, goals. Yeah. The, the two that, sort of when I was in, well, started out in journalism, the two that, that I will always remember were, was um, Jerry Britton and Diggle McCarrison. I mean, mm-hmm. those guys scored an absolute barrel load of goals and never never really got very much a look in at Celtic because they always had somebody who was bigger and better and more tried and tested yeah. and maybe even more prolific. Mm-hmm. It was the same thing in that quality street era I think Vic Davidson scored probably more goals than Dalgleish as, as they were coming through but again Vic Davidson he got a run in the Celtic well, he was, he, was a, he, was a, he did and he was a he was a really good player for Motherwell for a a, a period of time as well and you could tell he was at, he actually could play the game like so many footballers at that time who had been released by Celtic or Rangers and, and some of you know other teams like Hibs and Hearts they went elsewhere and just stuck out like a sore thumb because they were actually really really good players you know, and you, yeah, I mean, you could tell you could tell why like Jock Steen at Celtic would have seen something in Davidson as a mm-hmm. player because when he went elsewhere, you still knew he was a guy that probably played for Celtic. Yeah. yeah. It's probably the sort of player that their fans would say, oh, this is the sort of player that could step up and play for Celtic. I don't think you see that now. Yeah. I, I, I think you mm. see guys get into teams and it's like, there's an ex-Man United guy, an ex-Rangers guy, an ex-Hibs guy, and an ex-Runcorn player, mm-hmm. and they all look the same. Yeah. There's but nobody th- looks different. On that, I think, I think this academy thing, is maybe to blame for that a wee bit because you know so many people can get into academies, whereas not so many people could have got into the Celtic reserves or the Rangers reserves or the youth team or something like that. And I think players think once they've just got into an academy, you know, they think to a degree they've made it. Yeah. So when they come out, you know, if they get released, it's, it's a reason they've been released. Whereas, whereas back then you you got to that level after you'd been scouted. But a scout would only have watched it maybe a dozen times. Sometimes they see somebody after three games and it's like, this guy is the real deal. But you, they would have somebody watching somebody over the best part of a season. So you knew when you did make an approach, this was somebody who you thought could get better and had also so probably proven themselves against different levels of opposition. You could see in terms of their growth and their stature and there's a physical presence whether they were going to get bigger whether they were just staying the same size yeah. all of these things basically were just stuck in wee notebooks or under somebody's cap you know whereas today you get guys running about with GPS systems on them <laughs> wondering you know wondering where they are in the pitch let alone what casino they're in yeah, and, yeah. And, and that for me just shows you that it doesn't matter all the technology identifying real talent still has to be done with the naked eye and has to be done with the naked eye over a period of time. Absolutely. I agree with that. So let's take a look at Lou's answers. So 
Um, where would they like to be Christmas? At the top of the first division, hopefully there until May, so that's fair enough. And where will he actually be? He says he'll be at home, but he'll have to go running to have to go running to run off the pudding. Um, now his people that he'd like to spend Russ Habit, Benny Hill, or Gordon McQueen. It's <laughs> very funny now. Three comedians. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's obviously Gordon McQueen's obviously a bit of a joker there. Um, uh, Benny Hill. I never really got Benny Hill when I was younger. Um, Russ Abbott Christmas number one. Is that right? Yeah. Ernie. Ernie. Oh, the Ernie, 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 yeah, yeah. Okay. the West. Yeah, so um, he wants to spend wife with his three boys, Michael, Paul, and Jonathan, and he wants an inflatable ref for Ashley Grimes. So it alludes to the fact that there's he was sent off at of West Ham, and there's been a bit of ribbon for that. So that's probably sounds like dressing room banter there that you had to be there. When being sent off was still an event. <laughs> you yeah, seriously, yeah. When, when being sent off was something you actually remember, yeah, not only yeah, an yeah. everyday occurrence. And, and maybe actually, you know, take some stick to actually yeah, take yeah. some stick yeah. for it rather than mm-hmm. um, just ah, is another occurrence. But this one at the end here. So what, how would you like to change football? Um, he says there's nothing wrong with football apart from people who keep knocking it, which. It seems it's, it's a bit of a refreshing thing that maybe, you know, it's like, well, you know, the game is good as it is, so just stop trying to change it, stop trying to meddle with it. Um, so I, I think that was a... I, 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 I don't think there's... I, I don't think... That we, I mean, we've all... We're all football fans, and you know people will say, oh, you don't like football because of what you say. Maybe I say the things that I do say in disappointment because I know the football today is not what I grew up with. Yeah. I don't think... I really don't think players, they might be fitter, they might be faster, they might be better athletes. In terms of what they can actually do with a ball and in terms of how good they are, skill level, I don't think they're anywhere near what, what, what guys were like with balls that weren't, <laughs> weren't actually round and on pitches that looked as if they'd been, you know, they had come from a reenactment of the Somme. Mm. I mean, you look at some of the old footage of these pitches, yeah. and the ball does not roll across the surface. It basically bobbles and hops and skips. And these guys could still control the ball and still shoot and still mm. score. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that as well. So, Tony Morley, let's move on. So, what does Tony say? He'd, he'd rather spend the whole day in bed watching cartoons, um, but he's going to be training in the morning. Then. Have a quiet Christmas lunch. Now, who would who would you like to spend Christmas with? Farrah Fawcett Majors. So here we go. Tony's the the bit of the geezer, the bit of the the lad. Or but you the, have to say he's also the good-looking guy that might have half a chance. To be fair, that's point. a very good point. Yeah, um, certainly from the the lineup that we've got here. Um, but he also does add um, all the girls from Hot Gossip. So he's um, he's hedging his bets there. Yeah, and, it's good for him. To, it, it, it's good for him to actually see that there might be a second a second choice. Yeah, and but, as, as you say, some people if they if they gave that as an answer would be reaching but you know maybe he's he's actually in there with a shout so good luck to you on Christmas Day there Tony um, but where is he actually going to spend it with his landlady <laughs> so unless his landlady Farrah Fawcett Majors I think he's in for a big disappointment how he, he like to see his football change he wants an increase in crowds to the games um, so this is one of the things that I've noticed when I look back is crowds I think for certain clubs, certain teams, and I'll, I'll take the Scottish teams in particular, so 
if you look back, Celtic and Rangers crowds were a lot less than what they are at the moment. But the other teams, I think, were all generally yeah. a lot more mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in some occasions. You know, um, six thousand for St Mirren. You know, twelve thousand at Dundee United and things like that. So I, th- I think the the crowds have been bigger in the past for the the more provincial clubs. But the bigger clubs, I mean, we're talking about fifteen thousand, twenty thousand, twenty five thousand. Where Which... I'm okay. This, well, you could say the stadium, but yeah, the stadium's yeah. held a lot yeah, more back then as well. Yeah. Which sort of plays into the, the thing that I would always suggest that people don't actually support the top teams for football reasons. Mm. It's it, because the, the quality of the football, as I say, if you go back and you look at, say, even 20 years ago, you look at the, the, the teams that the old firm had and uh, that were playing games on. You know, reruns in Sky Sport, they they don't even match up anywhere. Yeah. I mean, you've got guys saying, "Well, you know, um, uh, the the League Cup final. How many how many Rangers players were getting the Celtic team and that kind of thing? If you if you take it back then, twenty years ago, how many of the current Celtic team would get in that team from nineteen ninety nine who didn't that, that didn't win anything? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It was it was like that was Rangers were dominant that season. And, and again, you're, you're looking at guys now that are held up as being, oh, they're fantastic players, and they probably are, but even going back 20 years ago, they're not a patch in what Scottish football had then. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's the most probably difficult thing in football is to, to do that comparison in different eras, and it's probably the most pointless yeah, thing uh, as well. Uh, well, it, it, is, it, is up, it is up to a point when you know what you're watching today as being the top level mm-hmm. isn't the same as the top level that you had. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it, it, whether it's, it's the same in all things, whether it's the suit that you wear just now, you just know it's not the same as the, maybe come to the suits later on as well. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it's the exact same. It's a car that you drive. Okay, it might have more gadgetry, but it's not the same. It, it's not, it doesn't give you the same feeling yeah. that it did like 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah. So, again, it's... Uh, the evolution of football. So the last one here, I think, is Eric Gates. So Eric comes from Ferry Hill in Durham, and the reason I give you that information is it sort of becomes clear in his answers that he, I think he misses home. He's homesick. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Um, so basically, he wants to spend his his Christmas in Jordyland, he calls it. So he wants to spend it back in the northeast, but instead he'll be training in the morning, followed by a lunch with his family. He'd like to spend it with relatives and friends in the northeast. So he mentions the northeast again. But he'll spend it with his wife and son and a new arrival due anytime soon. Um, backs up this this theory that we have. So what would he like for Christmas? He'd like a phone call from a manager with fifty thousand to spend. So he obviously thinks I quite like a wee move, and I wonder where he would like a wee move to. Um, Probably somewhere in Jordan. Yeah. yeah. So, but the thing, I mean, this was 1982, and he spending spent another um, three seasons at Switch Town before moving to Sunderland. So he did get his move back up north as well. So Christmas did come, even though a little bit late for Later. him. Uh, so moving on to uh, page six and seven. So top mark, Stoke City manager Richie Barker presents keeper Mark Harrison with the Match Weekly First Division Match Man of the Month award with his displays against Liverpool and Man United noted. So I wonder if he's still got it Well, behind, he, the, behind the microwave. <laughs> I mean, he only made seven league appearances for Stoke City and left in 1984 after injury problems. 
Um, but he had a bit of a journey after that. So he played for South African side Hellenic, then returned to the UK and played in non-league. But um, he then had a managerial career, started off at Stafford Rangers. And then he went to manage the Bangladesh national team. He managed Fortune in South Africa, Huraya in the Maldives, Umpa Malanga, Black Aces in South Africa, African Warriors, Bay Stars, Chipper United, Golden Arrows, Caps United in Zimbabwe, Township Rollers in Botswana, and Harare City in Zimbabwe again. Pumalanga, so, which ties into your, your reference earlier on, a certain Mr Doddy Weir. Yeah. That was where he was kicked out of the Lions tour. That's where, right. he, was, that's where he was injured. As Jim Telfer famously said, nothing good comes out of Pumalanga. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from Mark Harrison, Mark maybe, Harrison, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but you know, he's, he's, he's obviously, I mean, he's, he's getting this award. He, he's not set the heather alight in his football career by the looks of it and his playing side, but he's he's had a bit of a, a you know, a, a varied and quite colourful career there. Um, There's a lot of people like that in football, mm-hmm. isn't there? They, 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 they reach a certain level as a player and then they go into coaching and again, they only reach a certain level. Yeah. But it's, that level is is almost like where so many people want to shop. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like it, it's like literally you will never be out of work. It's that, it's that thing, once you're in the door, you just bounce around. I mean, that, that's so noticeable mm-hmm. with, with so many clubs and yep. so many managers. Yep. It's like the same, you know, we, we talk about it, the same people are always... Well, it's the same Allardyce, Alan Pardew, yeah. kind of guys that bounce around, similar... Exactly, and you, you do wonder why that is because, okay, they have some successes of that, but there's a lot of them that just don't have successes and what is it that, you know, attracts a director or an owner to, to think? I think, do you know what, now I've just said it, it's probably the same thing that managers, if, if someone, if there's a player who has, you know, undoubted talent, but there's something, that there's something not right, they're not reaching that talent, every manager always thinks I'm the one that's going to get it out of them. So maybe that's the same with the directors. They think I'm the one that's going to get this manager. I can give you a hugely long answer on that one. <laughs> I really could. But in effect, it is if you are a, a chairman or a board of directors or an owner who have to placate fans and sponsors and the likes, if I go out and say the best guy to be the next manager of Hearts is Andy Smith, right? And give you the job and you and you, you accept, <laughs> great. If you bomb, everybody will say, why did they pick him? Yeah. Whereas if you go back to the tried and tested, even if they're not that good, you're actually covering your back. Yeah, there's a, there's a reason that you can the, see the limitation. Damage mm. limitation exercise, and as much as you're going to somebody who's actually been in that job, rather than giving it to somebody completely new and completely fresh, which is a, which is seen as being a gamble. Whereas if you give it to somebody who's been around the block, yeah. it's not perceived as being quite the gamble, even though you know it is. You it's know. a sad world we live in where you're thinking that just as you're actually getting somebody into a job. It's like, how can I deal with this when it goes Correct. wrong? But I know, I know managers, I know managers, and I know one in particular who didn't get a very high or a relatively high profile job at one time because they spent more time negotiating what would happen if he got the sack and <laughs> how what his payoff would be and what the terms and conditions of that would be. And he did it for so such a prolonged period that eventually one of the guys 
you know, watching this sort of the beauty contest unfold, stood up and said, I'm out of here. Yeah. I've had enough. Do you want to manage this team or are you basically just hanging about here to see what happens at the end of it? Because if that's the case, I'm, I'm out and I'm finished speaking to you and he never got that job. And I have to say, he's become slightly tarnished ever since then. Okay. I'm, I've sort of got a, an idea who that might be, but I'm not going to say it. Um, you can write, write the initials there then. <laughs> that's, that's multitasking, I'll leave that to later. Um, so, moving on, there's a couple more things. Joy of the Rovers. Um, so, fourth division Tranmere Rovers were given the ideal Christmas gift as a £200,000 deal is agreed with the local World Council that will prevent them from closing their doors this month. So it all seems that for, a, for quite a while, the Tranmere Rovers are always diced with um, the proverbial death there Kitchen sinker former Orient striker Peter Kitchen is back after an unhappy spell in Hong Kong he's currently training at Orient I've got, I love this quote from him he says Hong Kong isn't the place the holiday brochures make out I stayed in a small dingy flat in a dirty part of town and it's like if, if, if people think football is all, all you know sex and drugs and rock and roll just you speak to Peter Kitchen it's like it's like Derek Riordan one isn't it going to China and I didn't really like Chinese food <laughs> so <laughs> what did you expect or as, they call, as they call it over there food yeah. um, Bob's blunder so Bob Wilson makes a boob co-presenting match of the day in the end he meant to say don't forget to watch match of the day in relation to the Sunday programme but instead he said don't forget to miss Match of the day. Did I get that right as well, or did I mess that up? No, I, you got it right. Did yeah. I get that? Maybe that shows you how <laughs> easy. That shows you how Another easy that was. Yeah. Another good goalkeeper. Um, right off, Bruce has a point to prove. So Liverpool keeper Bruce Grobler was once advised that he'd never make the grade as a goalkeeper by ex-pro Roy Bailey. And Roy Bailey just happens to be the father of United keeper Gary Bailey. So I think um, Bruce got the last word on that one. Um, bid for charity. There's an autographed programme of the North Counties East League side Shep, Shep Shed Charters House historic trip in the FA Cup against Preston, where Preston won 5-1. So that programme was up for auction and it's signed by both teams. And it was being auctioned in the aid of Maincap. Now, and it, quite an interesting thing about that Shep Shed Charters. It was quite a... If you say that in a Sean Connery action, it might work. <laughs> Shep Shed. You um, might drown as well. <laughs> But they were actually managed by Martin O'Neill for a few months back in 1989. So there we go. That was quite an interesting fact, I thought. Uh, a gift for Kenny. So we have a photograph of Arsenal fullback Kenny Sansom with his daughter Natalie sitting on his shoulders with Kenny wearing a T-shirt that was a gift from Natalie that reads, To Daddy, Love Natalie. So that's quite nice. Um, and Billy socks it to Charlie. So <laughs> I like this story. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, want, do you want to go with this story? Shall I say the story first and then you can, or do you want to go for it? Go, go, no, I, I'll, I'll, I'll read it. So Charlie Nicholas turned up to training at Celtic without any socks on as it was a fashionable thing at the time. However, Celtic manager Billy McNeil wasn't having any of it. So he threatened to find Charlie if it happened again. So this seemed to do the trick until one day Charlie comes in again without any socks. But it turns out they'd been driving to the ground without the socks and then putting them on in the car. But on this occasion, he just forgot to put them on. It definitely is. <laughs> my, so in that case, he was sitting there not thinking, I guess. Well, I guess. But my my, my fashion story about Charlie Nicholas was there was a time where uh, everybody in Lark Hall had 
maybe maybe didn't have a lot of things, but they all they always had good suits <laughs> because of Dak Simpsons. So basically, what you would do is you would go into Marks and Spencers, see a suit that you like, try it on, and then pass on the relevant information to somebody who worked in Dak Simpsons, <laughs> and lo and behold. You'd have new togs for a wedding or a a, a, a christening or a, a, a day or whatever it was, and the, you know same same with jackets, um, and they had a range. Dak uh, Simpsons, Simpsons of Piccadilly, and uh, they had their signature range. And what they used to do was, if you can imagine, I, I mean, I got a jacket from there and I walked into House of Fraser and the guy spotted, clocked me right away with his jacket and came across, oh, you would like, you know, looking at a jacket, sir? I went, no, no, not really. All because I was wearing this jacket. Now, I think at that time I was earning about 56 quid a week. The jacket was about 70 odd quid. You know what I mean? So you've got to clock somebody wearing that kind of jacket. Yeah. Anyway, this signature range, what they used to do is, was, so all the the jackets are in a, in a, in a rack and so you don't have to have to go in to see what it is, they used to stitch a little um, bit of uh, cloth onto the actual sleeve that said signature or it said Piccadilly or whatever it was, so you knew that's what you were looking at, right? So I, I, I cannot remember where it was. It's something like Cardinal Follies or wherever we were. <laughs> and we walked in and obviously these jackets cost a few quid, so only certain people could afford them unless they lived in Lark Hall. And one of these guys that was wearing this, these fancy jackets was Charlie Nicholas. But these wee labels were when you put when you purchased the jacket, you were supposed to cut them off, right? It was only for identification purposes. And it turned up at his disco, as I say, it was Cardinal Follies or someplace. And here's Charlie with a good jacket on, with a wee, yeah. the wee bit of the wee bit of cloth still stitched onto the sleeve. Because it's designer, yeah, yeah. Because it's designer, and it's just like. You know, I think one of my mates had to basically feed me a pint to shut me up from <laughs> laughing as I was trying to tell folk this. But you know, again, not many people were interested in it. But it was it was something that amused me, still amused me, amuses me greatly <laughs> that somebody thinks, uh, you know, I'm earning top dollar, therefore I've got to flash it and, and wear yeah. these wee tags. But I guess I guess it just sort of highlights, you know, Charlie's came from a different background yeah. than than you know a background that he would know that information. So you know, it just. I think just highlights the fact that he was, he was on the the way up at the time. Yeah, and he was he was he was he, he was buying things that, can buy thirty seven years ago. If if you like to call them working class ordinary folk, couldn't really afford. Mm. Do you know what I mean? He was he he was he was buying the designer like stuff. Leather trousers. Leather trousers. Aye, <laughs> <Like leather trousers. laughs> <laughs> my brother had a leather suit. It was a. Uh, um, it looked a bit like Paul Young, you know. It was. Uh, but well, whatever was... happened to the talcum industry once leather suits and trousers <laughs> and that you know, stopped getting sold as much? You've obviously never been in some of the queues that I've been in of late. <laughs> White powder wafting everywhere. That's so not. That's, that's not talcum. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's a, a story that made its way into Billy McNeil's autobiography, mm -hmm. Hail Caesar. It was brought to my attention that Charlie never wore socks, winter or summer. And as feet are the principal tools of a footballer's trade, it concerned me he might be doing himself some damage because of this unusual habit, which I felt was unhygienic. <laughs> Presumably it was some sort of fashion statement, and Charlie was always in the height of fashion. But no matter that Charlie had quickly become a key player, I warned him if he didn't conform, I was going to fine him and leave him out of the team. However, typical Charlie, having promised to start wearing socks, as soon as he left the ground after training, he would head straight for his car and promptly remove his footwear. 
I got to hear of this and one day waited until Charlie was about to get behind the wheel before telling his closest buddy at Celtic, Danny Craney, to relay the message that I wanted to see him straight away. <laughs> Having done his usual quick change by the time Danny reached the car park, Charlie had no option but to report to my office minus his socks. How much did your socks cost, I asked. A fiver, gaffer, replied Charlie. Right, I declared. I'm finding you a fiver and I'll go on doing so every time I catch you disobeying my instructions. Charlie protested that I couldn't do that, but of course I could and I did. <laughs> Mind you, it was a bit of fun more than anything, a light-hearted way of demonstrating to Charlie exactly who was boss. That's brilliant. So uh, like you see again, a fiver for a, a fiver, pair of socks. Yeah, yeah. I remember, it, but I remember, I remember that fight. Remember, remember Charlie missed that European tie with athlete's foot. Do you remember that? <laughs> because it wasn't very hygienic. <laughs> you know, I mean, in all seriousness, do you think that's what's going to stop you playing in a game? Just yeah. not wearing socks. But again, it's it's maybe a level of the naivety. You know, this this, this, this reading through this, and, and as I have done a couple of times, you're suddenly aware that this is an entirely different world to the one that we now live in. Yeah. See, on, on the... With, just said it from Billy there. I'd sort of question that Billy was doing it because of the hygiene and because you feel. I think he was just doing it to say, stop being a stupid wee boy. No. Stop, you know, it's like, get, get a grip. You're playing for Celtic. Exactly. You and, and, and you've got a responsibility and you should be, you know, sort of, when it comes to tacting the decorum, you should be carrying yourself in a yeah. certain way, walking about without socks on or, or trying to enter the training ground with flip flops or whatever it is. Just isn't a done thing. <laughs> no, I've not done it for many a year. <laughs> not since the reruns of Miami Vice. But no. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're on to a Merry Christmas. Jones is happy to be back in London. So uh, coming from a, a, a journalist, um, I would say background, but that yeah. sort of sounds as if it's part time for you. But um, <laughs> they've they've done that thing where they've done Chris. In uppercase, yeah, so yeah. it's like you know, it's like it's Chris Jones, so Christmas. You know, you've got you got to you, you give your your headline right of the day off for that, don't you? Well, I, I, again, this 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 date. Don't, don't get me wrong. There's some people try to sell these ideas even now, but that almost dates when this would be seen as being something edgy. Yeah. Because what you've done is you you you've. Um, You've altered the the font size to give it Chris Mass, whereas now you'd have somebody putting snow across the the, the, the top of his name or something like that. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and make it a bit more a bit jazzy or sort yeah. of type thing. You had limited tools to work with, and you know back then. And I would imagine imagine that I mean their state of the art kind of um, stuff would be. You know, putting what, what we would describe as like that would that there's a wob, so that's white on black. But to then do on the next page to print white on red, yeah. it's quite edgy. It costs money as well because it's 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 two different three different runs. You're, you're, I, I have to, I have to certainly in some of the early seventies shoot magazines, it's, it seems as though you can tell when they've got a delivery of a new set of fonts. Yeah. You know, and it's yeah, like we're going to we're going to use these new toys. It's, it doesn't matter if it fits with the thing. We're going to use these old fancy fonts, and so um, I remember. I remember about 90, 90, well, early nineties. There was this this new kind of gizmo came in, 
on Apple Macs and it was putting flames, it was setting fire to everything. So everything, <laughs> it doesn't matter what it was, looked like it started Bonanza. Because you, you had flames, you know, um, it taught, I think it was somebody say Tommy Burns or something like that. It was burning ambition. <laughs> it had nothing to do with Tommy Burns. It was it was Celtic, but you need, oh, you need to get Tommy in the headline yeah. so we could make it burning and ambition and, and put all these flames all over the back page. And you know, as one of my former editors once said, having picked up the paper and found, found the pages on fire on about seven or eight different pages, <laughs> we should, he said, we should be putting fire extinguishers on the other page. <laughs> Yeah. So you, you've turned over there, and it's it's fun time. So I, I, I made I've made the point before that snow. Yeah, snow. In the t- exactly. Yeah, good point. So I've made the point before that in these magazines, very seldom do things that they try and make funny turn out to be funny. So cartoons, jokes, humorous articles, and stuff like that. And I I don't actually remember finding them enjoyable or funny at the time when as a wee boy you've got a you know, you've got a sense of humour that's a lot different than you would as an adult, but I don't remember. However, I actually found a couple of these all right. <laughs> so, <laughs> You're that stage in life. <laughs> no, but, um, so there's a one, um, there's a wee, wee boy walking in and his mum and dad are in bed and he's shouting, hey mum, dad, Santa's been, and he's kicked the ball just as his dad raises his head. I had a wee sort of, you know, not a laugh, but just a wee, <laughs> at that. Um, the other one I found not as funny it was a goalkeeper. So there's a goalkeeper in the net and the, the, he's filled up the goal line with lots of uh, snowmen. And the ref just comes up and says, explain yourself. And he says, I was lonely. And he says, <laughs> so, you know, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm finding what humour I can here out of it. I think it probably backs up my thing that they're not funny. But snow and football is a thing of the past. Mm. Yeah. Isn't it? I mean... How many? I mean, I, I remember famously Hamilton Ackies being on Scott Sport playing against Airdrie one year when they basically they turned Douglas Park into the Sahara Desert just to get it on because they were going to get this money mm. um, because it was only four games on in Scotland or something like yeah. that. And, and nowadays, games are off, not because of what it may do in terms of the yeah. players, because or the fans can't travel in that, or the or or, or what, the surrounds of the football ground haven't been uh, salted. I mean, what at what point in time do we actually, you know, say to ourselves, we have a duty to take care of ourselves and not worry about how other people are going to take do, care do of us? Do you think there was a spate of injuries getting to games in the past? Do you think there was a? But there were no numbers to phone and have a claim. If I ever come back, like you know, back to the future, and I've 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 got my sporting almanac book, <laughs> the one thing I'll be doing is maybe put it in one shelf and then opening up a claims business because <laughs> I think there were a hell of a lot more claims back oh, then. No, than you're going to burn in hell for that, I'm afraid. <laughs> Uh, so just down at the bottom here, we've got um, the goalkeepers. There's an advert, and it's goalkeeper schools 1982, and this is a national goalkeeper centre in Ipswich with Ray Clemens, Paul Cooper. It does mention Bruce Grobler, but he says it's based in Manchester and Phil Parks. So you send a form away with a 12 and a half pence stamp for more information in a booking form. Um, the photo has, and I love this photo because it's Paul Cooper, the goalkeeper, with a bunch of young lads around him, focused on him, giving some. Um, some coaching but what he's got he's basically pinned this young boy's face right into the ground and I'm thinking you know 
I don't remember ever being coached about what happens when the big centre forward, you know, puts your face into the ground. That's so it. obviously Paul knows his stuff. This is the advanced course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if you just scream referee. I don't know what how you get out of that one. So um, on the next night one, uh, Graham Soonis, the Graham Soonis column. So this was a, a regular column within the magazine. Amazing. Um, we're not finished yet. Um and before we start, I'd just like to point out this is nothing to do with Auntie Niemi, okay? Whenever I, I hear finished, you know what the... It's, it's the same with um, Gary Lineker. As soon as he posts something, you know what the first three or four responses are going to be, don't you? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't think we need to go into what that is. I think if you know, you know. So we're not finished yet, and no, it's not about Auntie Niemi. So Scotland now have to win all the remaining matches in the European Championship in order to qualify for a place in the finals. Um, 1984 was in France, and here's a spoiler, we didn't make it. Oh, no. So, um, after a disappointing defeat to Belgium, when we got beat 3-2, it was reflected that although the result was disappointing, the nature of the performance of positives. This followed a 2-0 defeat in Switzerland. So, against Belgium, they had three chances and scored three goals. Scotland went ahead twice, with two from Douglas, but missed a penalty, courtesy of Frank Gray. Now, I remember what there's very few games that I remember watching as a wee boy, but I remember watching this game and I remember that penalty. And I remember the penalty for not watching it. I think I went behind it, and I don't normally do this, but I went behind the couch. And I think just in my mind, I thought, oh, I'm going to miss this. There was just something about it, and we did, we missed it. He, he had a pretty good strike rate. Oh, he's yeah. A, he's, a, he's a penalty taker. The thing I remember from that game is, and it's still. It still annoys me to this day is that 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 was one of the that is one of the top ten greatest Scottish performances for being Scottish. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. We are still referring. Do you remember that goal Douglas scored yeah. against Belgium? Yeah, we do. But ultimately, what did it get us? Yeah, we still lost three two. You know, I wish I, I wish there was something you just. You know, expunge all the goals that Scotland have scored over the years. If you lose, you're not allowed to remember the goals. <laughs> that's, we would have that's, nothing to remember. Such a Scott, I mean, the, the Lee Griffiths goal, the penalty kicks and stuff, and it's like it means nothing. Exactly, it means nothing it, because we kicks, threw it away. Exactly. You know, I, I remember meeting somebody in Glasgow that night. Absolutely gone, mm. zonkoed celebrating Scotland's 2-1 victory because when he decided he was going to leave Scotland was still 2-1 up he knew nothing about oh, the equaliser no, no. you know and, and, and you know, I was I was working at Herald at the time I had to go into the you know I had to go into the office on the, the Monday and it was oh we were unlucky no we weren't unlucky we were naive beyond belief so I, I, I think up until the last five minutes we, we weren't that great no. you know we weren't in the game and then we scored those two brilliant goals absolutely fantastic goals and I remember being in the house watching it um, and just gone mental and and it was like that's how that's how you want to support Scotland that's what you want from Scotland just those moments even if they're few and far between you want those moments but we'd then been, you we'd know, been gatecrashed by Rod Stewart at that point in time yeah. He, he thought the box that we were in were, was having a far better time. <laughs> <laughs> and he was... Him and Tom Hunter came and joined yeah. our hooli rather than the one that they were actually in. But no, I, again, and then if you go to the goals, if you go to the goals that they lost, you've got two routes to take when you break from defence and um, the, the, the ball is played in field 
to a danger area rather than going further wide. And then when you look at the goal, when the cross comes in, if Gordon had stood where he was and was still there, he would have collected the ball in front of his eyes. Except when the ball was delivered, he backpedaled mm. and Kane came on to it. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, it's like your goalkeeper has actually sold the, the jerseys in that one, mm -hmm. which is, again, I'm disappointed, but I'm, I'm really disappointed because we should have won that game. We, we really should have won that game. So it's, it's, it's what is a mo modern, the modern game, all this coaching about is about gameplay and managing it. And, and that's exactly what that situation was. You manage that moment and we just did it like school boys. Yeah. We, 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 we should have went long, put it in the corner, got up the park, pressed up, something. Just don't do what we did. I think, I think it was, was it, was it Armstrong who it broke Armstrong, from defence? And to my mind, he passed to a Celtic teammate rather than passing it wide to somebody else yeah. because his trust was in his Celtic teammate as opposed to trusting the guy who was actually in, in, in open water, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And that, was a, that just turned into be a, a, an absolute fatal mistake. So you actually touched on, so that, you know, as much as we're talking about this, the Kenny Dalglish goal was a thing of beauty. It was, yeah. I mean, he turns, spins in the edge of the box, sidesteps a player and then kills it into the top top corner. I mean, it was, for me, it's, it's one of the top Scotland yeah. goals. But unfortunately, 3-2. I believe it was Dalglish's last goal as well. It was his 29th and 30th. Yeah, the first one was set up. I think it was a sort of 1-2 type thing with Archie Archibald. Yeah. Um... Soonest gives praise to England for their 9-0 trouncing of the mighty Luxembourg. Okay, fair enough. I mean, that was an easy... We'd show you how difficult it would be in a couple of years after that, wouldn't we? <laughs> was, it, was, it, was it Luxembourg? 0-0. Who was it they, they, they went ahead in the first minute or something and then they came back and they won against San England? Marino. San, San Marino. San Marino. Yeah, San Marino. yeah that's the one. Yeah, oh, we, how we cheered for a minute. <laughs> we, managed, we managed to draw 0-0 with Luxembourg, you know... We, Again, another one of the great nights of embarrassment. Mm. So, you know, in the column, we're saying we have to win all our matches to get through. And the re reality was we finished Belgium, Switzerland, East Germany, Scotland, and we won one game for the whole tournament. Um, we drew two. So, yeah. Was that not, the opening game to be beat? East Germany in the opening? I'm going to say Man. yes. <laughs> I'm going to say yes, but we'll backtrack on that. If uh, we're, we're, the, thing, the thing for me is the fact you have... You have Graham Souness, the captain of Scotland, a European Cup winner, and a Liverpool stalwart writing a column. Mm. You know, again, if you think of the profile that Souness had in football at that time as as a player, I mean, he's absolutely top dollar, and he's writing for. So how, how, I know you said sort of ghostwriting, but how would this have worked? Would it have been a phone call with somebody that Yeah, you, you, would have, you would have somebody, you'd have, yeah, what happens is you have, yeah, you have, um, uh, talking to Anthony Hawkswell. Mm. So you'd have somebody on your staff. First of all, you need to come up with a deal yeah. that would get soon as in your newspaper or magazine and there's a couple more you know, tales as we go through that are that are sort of covered off with that as well. This one, you find out how much it's going to cost them 
I presume he would have an agent of sort being one of the first. And again, go back to the Dak Simpsons. He was he was he was one of the, the guys that they had mm. on their kind of payroll, especially when he went to Italy. Yeah. And he could do like assignments and things and turn up at different things for them. Um so they would work that out. They'd phone him maybe on a if the magazine came out, say on a Wednesday or a Thursday, whatever day of the week it was, Friday, you'd get somebody phoning him after that particular weekend. So you, you can incorporate anything that happened that you've missed in the previous midweek, then do your weekend stuff, have a general chit-chat, basically come up with the, 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 the words. Mm-hmm. I, I would reckon that some guys, when you do that, they basically just trust you to yeah. be the stenographer and take down everything or add to certain things or embellish certain things that will make them look good. Mm-hmm and you'll live happily ever after. It's it's not that difficult, but in effect, there are very few, very few columnists, I would imagine at that time, would actually have taken time to actually write their own column. Mm-hmm. See, because one, one of the things I've noticed with things like Danny McGrain's column and, and some others as well, there's a definite, there's a definite feel to it and there's a definite style which continues through them so you yep. know it just means makes you think that it's definitely them that are this is probably their words mostly if not completely um, even if they're not typing it out and sending it away or whatever so you know I'm just wondering what sort of degree the ghostwriting would as you say they would embellish things um, but I, I do think there's a style that you sort of pick up as you, you keep reading them you need, you, need, you need a decent relationship with the person so you, you, you do I mean and you cultivate that over a couple of weeks you don't want to do something in the first week or two first two weeks that basically you're going to get somebody's back up that they never want I, I'm, I'm never going to speak to that guy again and you also want to be able to access this person. Yeah. So that would mean back then, either Graham Soonis phoning the guy when he was available or the guy phoning Graham Soonis' home. Mm. No mobile phones yeah, then. Yeah. So it was it was even even more disciplined back then that you would you would set a certain time. And again, just to allude to that, I have phoned guys when I worked at Evening Times or when I worked at the Mirror and all sorts of, they all had a time that they would want to to to, to speak to somebody. Mm. Some people, it was like after the Champions League when the highlights were on on a Wednesday night, so you end up phoning them at like half past 11. And you'd be up at that time to talk to TalkSport. I, mean, I don't even <laughs> TalkSport was in existence then, but the, the, the fact of the matter is that they, they had people who wanted to be phoned first thing in the morning before it, it, again it suited them to answer the phone yeah. so, so they don't need to take the kids to school <laughs> and it was, you know, I, I know that sounds you know pretty 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 horrible Sneaky, but, yeah. but it's a bit but, but again it's like oh, I, I can't take the kids to school this morning because I need to speak to this guy you know and, and, yeah, I mean, and the, to be honest on that one one individual in particular warned me that I had to I had to phone <laughs> then because if I didn't phone it would really fall out with me because yeah. he just did not want to be taking the kids to school again he will remain nameless <laughs> I was not even going to guess so just while we're on this kind of subject Stuart could you tell us a wee bit about writing the book with Dodie Weir how you sort of went about it and obviously you sort of established a level of trust and you're looking to sort of capture his voice well yeah well that was about absolutely the big thing for me was people who read the book and still read the book and come back and saying that in their heads it was Dodie narrating it 
which is is just like such an accolade. But I mean, Doddy and I, Doddy and I have known each other for twenty eight years right. since the nineteen ninety one World Cup, um, and then uh, you know I sort of knew him on and off, and then an editor of mine at the the Evening Times, which wasn't a rugby paper, heard Doddy and I having a bit of banter and heard Doddy having a bit of banter. I mean, what you're saying there is absolutely spot on that, you know, people people picking up the book last year for Christmas and all the rest of it and sitting and finishing it in a one and hearing Doddy's voice in their head was, you know, as as much as an achievement for me and an accolade for me as it was to be shortlisted for the Telegraph's Sports Book of the Year. Really was mm-hmm. because it's, it's job done then. But if, for for whatever reason, he, he, he was a bit reticent to actually write the book. Was that because he's too modest? He doesn't want to tell his story? Did he think he had a story to tell? Or no, I knew that. We, we were first going to write the book in 2000. So it takes a wee while. Motor neuron disease sort of focused the mind a wee bit yeah, in terms of we sure. better get on with this. So he he hummed and he had. I think one or two people were sort of whispering in his ear that there might be better deals to be done elsewhere. I wasn't convinced of that, and lo and behold, I was absolutely right that the deal that Black and White Publishing put to him suited suited all parties. So the twenty seventh, twenty eighth of May was when we sat that we first travelled to Coventry in a car journey together and five hours down, four hours back up because I was driving back up and, <laughs> and basically we just sat and talked all the way down and all the way back up and, and out of that, that gave us that gave me the bones for what the book was going to be. Doddy thought he'd completed the book in that one <laughs> car journey, you know, and, and took exception. That was easy. It was easy, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I, absolutely, it was like, that. you want more? Aye, I need more. We've got 75,000 words to do. Yeah. Do we know 75,000 words? I, I maybe do. I'll just keep asking you questions. But as it as it came along, and, and uh, if you've read the book, the book doesn't... Um, it, it doesn't follow the traditional sort of path of, I was born and then I went to school and then I started playing rugby and this was my first cap, my sixth cap, my 20th cap. The biggest thing in Doddy's life at that point in time was the fact that he'd been diagnosed with motor neuron disease. So that that was our starting point, and then we had to kind of fall out from that, and then it let it, it. So it's 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 joined up, but it's not joined up in the way that you might expect and a kind of normal book to be. And a, and a lot of, again, so many people came and said that that's what made it enjoyable because they finished a chapter and then went to look at the next chapter and then found out it started somewhere else in time. Mm. So they would read a wee bit and yeah. before they knew it, yeah, they'd yeah. finished their second box of Ferrara Roche <laughs> and were on their second <laughs> bottle of red wine and had to go to their bed, but took the book with them and sat in bed and read it for another three hours. That's all you can ask for, is that? So yeah, it's, it's been really well received. Mm. Subsequently, all the one-liners, we still have, it still has to be a serious book and a lot of things that Doddy had talked about I'd basically noted down. So we ended up with this, you know, sort of pile of quotes and anecdotes and mantras and mottos about how he conducted his life, which didn't really fit in anywhere in the book at times, but they were really quite funny and quite enjoyable. So the publisher said, if you've got them, 
let, let's use this as a, a let, let, let's do a book and uh, we'll put it out before Christmas as like a stock and filler type thing. Mm. And again, the response from that is incredible because you've got people, some people who are in a really low place, and we did a, a book signing yesterday in Edinburgh, and it's amazing what people latch onto in a moment of desperation or when they're low yeah. in terms of belief or or just low in terms of what's happening to their lives or what's happened to other people in their lives. Yeah. We things, people hook on to it because Doddy said it. Yeah. And and it's almost like a it's almost like a light going on, a mm -hmm. beacon that if Doddy Weir in terms of his condition is thinking that I am not alone. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? And it's it, it, it can be quite upsetting at times, I have to say. I am I mean I've got an on-off switch that that basically is usually switched off because if you think about things too much, it, it can become really quite emotional. Yeah. And it and it does for him, you know. Um but again, sometimes it does it does just grab you and you you hear stories from people which which are just sad and and, and again because of the condition there is only one outcome just now, yeah. but there's a lot of ways to get there. There's some people, if you look at it, they can survive year upon year upon year. Other people, it's a slow decline. Other people, it's quite a quick decline, and then it slows down. Mm. And other people, other people might not be here three months after they've been diagnosed. Yeah. And that, for me, is that's. That's really difficult, especially when you've met somebody somewhere else and maybe you've asked the question, how's your dad, how's your brother, how's your husband? And they've said, well, why only come here today, today to tell you that they're not here? Mm. And, you know, that's, that's tough. Yeah. Give us a swig of that Benelon again. <laughs> that's not Benelon. <laughs> <laughs> right, we're going to... Ask you some questions here. So you know about the focus on section. So yeah, football. In fact, there's um, one with uh, John Gregory there. But we're going to ask you. Them. Um, so <laughs> we've got a selection of questions here. You can choose not to answer them. John uh, Gregory, focus on foreign bank accounts. <laughs> <laughs> so full name. Uh, Stuart Weir. Okay. Place of birth. Hamilton. First car. My first car was a mini. Okay. Favourite player? Uh, my my favourite player of all time, David Cooper. Okay. I Fam went I went I went to the same school mm -hmm. and when you see somebody basically tearing up St John's primary in the semi final of the Shinwell Cup, scoring six goals and a nine one victory. Yeah. You, th those kind of things never leave you. I can only imagine what it was like at that age with we play those young players around. Well, he could he could he could play, but it was almost like Everybody knew he could play, and he knew he could play. Therefore, I'm not saying he was lazy, yeah. But you could expect him to play, and he would just he would just do it. Yeah, you just knew he was special. Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, I know people will be cliche, but we what we talked about maybe earlier about scouting and all the rest of it. I mean, he he you could see that he was different, but how he was going to use it yeah. was was probably different in itself as well, given how he, he got in at senior football. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so favourite team? 
Hamilton Nackies. Well, I, I was born. I was born in Bedford Lodge, which is about a goal kick away from where Douglas Park was. My grandparents were in Lawn Street, so which was again maybe a goal kick in the opposite direction. Yeah. And for fifteen pence in the early seventies, you could go and watch Hamilton Nackies against all sorts. Yeah. You know, and it was again. I will. I will state here. I mean, there was, there was there was once a press conference at Celtic Park when Jock Brown outed me as a Hamilton Ackies fan, and <laughs> um, which one of the uh, a member of the press corps who will remain nameless basically uttered some swear words and basically said he's a blue nose. <laughs> <laughs> and I think even though Jock was a, a Jock was a lawyer and defended me to the hill, nobody was buying that one. But yeah. Jock knew this sort of the the real story. Okay, most memorable match? Well, actually, if it's most memorable match, it's nothing to do with Hamilton Ackies. In fact, it's, it's, it, it might surprise a few people. To my first Scotland-England game at Hamden in 1970, mm -hmm. just because I've never seen that many people on a football ground, and, and, I, and I haven't since. My most memorable match, I would have to say, is the 19... And this is... This is I'm going to see this through <laughs> gritted teeth. The 1991 Scottish Cup final between Motherwell and Dundee United. Okay. I think that is that was just such an epic match. Mm. It was brilliant. It was it was the family final, wasn't it? That one. It was, yeah. and and the, the 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 swing of the game, the goals that were scored, the 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 whole emotion of that that particular match. You know, and then Big Kirky turning up at the end and scoring the winner. It had absolutely everything, and, and and again, it's one of these games where it's like that's your benchmark is set there, and I have to say, nothing really has come close to to touching that game, and again, it appealed, it really appealed to neutrals, yeah, and I think that was the best bit about it. It wasn't Hearts beating Celtic, or it wasn't Aberdeen beating Rangers. It was it was a game that all the neutrals could actually buy into because. Well, nobody, nobody had Motherwell or Dundee United as a second club, right? Unless you were, unless you were, you know, your name was McLean. But I just, I just thought that was that was one of the best games I've ever, I, I've ever seen in the flesh, ever seen live. Biggest thrill. Biggest thrill within football. Just in your life. In life. Any time I get in a car with Colin McRae. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've gone places and I go places and people say, do you want, do you want to sit in a passenger ride? Nah, not really. <laughs> so I mean, it's, like, it's like once you've flown Concord, why would you want to go up my... Does that mean you're a bit of an adrenaline junkie? I, would, I, would, I wouldn't say, no, I, I wouldn't say I'm a, uh, an adrenaline junkie. I mean, you, you wouldn't find me jumping out of aeroplanes or going yeah. bungee jumping and that kind of thing. You not need for to be me. on the ground. Aye, aye. You, you, you wouldn't even get me going in a... Uh, no. On a motorbike, and it, you know it's something I've, not, I've, I've I've I have not done for forty odd years. Mm -hmm. I mean, I went on. I was down in Doddy's farm a couple of weeks ago, and I went on a quad, and that was the first thing, like a a motorcycle contraption I had been on in forty years. Yeah, something because I got too many bad memories of them. But that's another story. But you know, sitting with Colin and actually seeing how good the guy was because I, I mean I can I think I can drive yeah. but when you're looking for an imaginary brake <laughs> to slow you down or an anchor and he's basically 
changing down so you can accelerate again. Yeah. It's like you, you have a different world. Different level. Biggest disappointment? Mm, can my mother sue me from the grave? <laughs> mm, no. Uh, biggest disappointment? Biggest disappointment now in my life is not listening to people when I was at school. Okay. I should have probably... The things I was good at, I was excellent at. Mm -hmm. The things that I wasn't so good at, I just chucked it. I, right. I'm not interested, you know, and, and I wish I'd listened to more people at that point in time. Okay. Best country visited? Oh, goodness. Ireland. Favourite food? You know the answer to this one. Apart from Tunnock's... <laughs> As you will see from my... my um, Oh, favourite food? Who gives a clue? Oh, no, it's steak and chips, isn't it? That's the classic. No, That's well, classic, I, I, it's, it's something I like. I, I like steak and chips, but I would I would honestly, if it, if it came if it came to push came to shove, I'd probably say something like steak pie. It's still steak, I'm taking it. Oh, well, I still yeah, take yeah. it. Uh, miscellaneous likes, just a couple of things that you like. Oh, God, I like things that other people don't like. And I mean, seriously, unusual. I I love things like the March Brothers. Mm -hmm. I would sit and giggle for a day on end at the March Brothers and and have people looking down their nose at me that, <laughs> that you know, you could pause. I, I like the music of James Last. Okay. Okay, okay. I am really big into that. I, I, I don't know why, it's just something that I find particularly you know pleasing yeah. um and there's 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 one or two other ones um and and i do like guinness okay fair enough as yeah. as the owners of gauchos in edinburgh would tell you after our christmas day out <laughs> and she basically said i have never seen any as many or uh, uh, so few people drink as many pints I think there was like seven of us on guinness yeah. i think we'd drink about something like 70 or 80 pints i'm not impressed with that at all that was I Thursday morning. <laughs> <laughs> Miscellaneous dislikes, what don't you like? What drives you mad? Oh, oh. What drives me mad, maybe just now, and 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 this is the, the whole political environment, are people who judge you on what they perceive to be your political allegiances mm -hmm. when they know nothing about you. And not only... Not only that, they then decide that it's reason enough to attack you. Yeah. And and the whole the whole political discourse just now really does grind my gears in a in a in a major way. I don't mind people having different beliefs, different views, but please don't tell me. You know, there was somebody somebody on Twitter trying to tell me about um, about working down mines. You know, and it was like what age was it with they? They, 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 they had. I reckon they were born after the miners' strike in 1984, so they would nothing. They would so know nothing about mines. So I asked, the, I asked the question: Have you ever been down a mine? No. I suppose you're going to tell me you have. Hold my beer. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I, used, I used to build coal cutting equipment for a living. So, so no, there's been a few conversations where you've yeah, went in that yeah. direction, and so I've, don't, so I've, don't. No, I'm dropping out of this. I, I have no I, idea. So don't, don't combine and tell me about unions and politics and and all these kind of things because yeah. you know I, I was that was part of my life when it was actually something that was really really relevant 
not a history lesson from somebody who who's basically uh, only yeah. getting out a text. It's, it's just reminded me, you know, there've been a couple of times I've posted photographs. Uh, it's like old coal adverts or something like that. And you come straight in. That, that's the X, XR2 um, machine. And I'm like, how do you know that? Right, there yeah. we go. I wish I still had it, but one of my favourite posters that, 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 that sort of era was the, the coal board produced a, a, a specific type of anthracite. Right, This is, this is me. I'll get my right. Sorry out there. But the, the, the person they got to advertise the anthracite was Frank Bruno, yeah. right? Now, again, we mentioned colour and you know, people referring to things as being black, and I don't think the coal board would have got away with it nowadays, but if there was something that encapsulated that particular product, it was him, like, it was, and it was him, he looked absolutely chiselled mm. with a kind of spotlight coming down just on one side of him, and he was sort of sweated up as well, and and that's when you actually reckon, you know you realised and, and recognised. And I've said to him since then, just what a specimen he was. Oh, yeah. He was a phenomenal specimen as a boxer. Probably the first guy that actually went down that road in terms of being a physical specimen rather than any great kind of boxer. Yeah. And it so I mean, listen, it, it served him well, but it was that that, that is what as a memory that I've got out of that kind of era. Okay, so favourite TV shows? Uh, the Sweeney. Sweeney. <laughs> That's yeah. it, full stop. Yeah. Watching. We, watch. we, we were never allowed up to watch the Sweeney because <laughs> no. it was always a, a wee sort of cheeky bit in, isn't it? Well, there it? was. And I used to I used to make sure I used to go to my used to go to my mate's house who he he had a television, a colour television in his room and I would decant there on the evenings that the Sweeney was on so I could actually watch it all the way through. Because I knew if it was in, you know, if, if it was at home, we'd end up watching an episode of the... Aye, oh, aye, aye, or, or, or a dog suddenly gets thrown in front of you <laughs> so you can't see a risky part of it. So who's your best friend this could be? Oh, I've got... Uh, I've, got I've got several best friends. Um, Doddy's one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and a guy who was my number two at the, the Mirror... Um, a guy called Grant McDonald. Mm-hmm. He's one of my best friends. I, I am very fortunate in that I have a I have a, a lot of really good friends who I don't always need to keep in contact with just for them to stay as good friends. Yeah. It's like when we moved house to Hamilton, I moved back to Hamilton, and a guy turned up at the door, and she went, "There's a guy here saying he's into plumber, he's plumbing the washing machine." <laughs> I went, "Does he have a beard? On? Does he have a beard? On? Does he not have a beard? He's got a beard." And that's Patrick. Well, man, you'll be fine. She went, and all you know, the wife. And all the time I've known you, I have never known you to mention this guy. And suddenly he turns up at my house. Do I owe him any money? No, just give him a cup of tea and a biscuit. He'll be fine. She went, you're you're strange. You know, <laughs> you've been into things in life that I don't know about. Probably, probably, So last question here: Which person in the world would you most like to meet? That you've obviously not met. That I've not met. Um, I would. I would have to say I would probably like to meet Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think that I, I think the whole thing with Nelson Mandela is like the, the was the default for yeah, again yeah. many people, but I think that somebody like Obama and given everything that he achieved when. 
it was supposedly easy, but it could never be easy if it was in the United States. And given the decisions that he had to make in that office, I just think I just think people like that are are absolutely. Fa- it would be fascinating just to just to talk to them. Underneath that, I, I, you know, there's a, a a bundle of sports people, men and women, that I would like to speak to just to ask specific questions of how did you arrive at a certain place? Mm-hmm. Because again. I don't. I, I. I read very few autobiographies of sportsmen because some of them I know the bits I've left out. Yeah. So what's the point of buying a book or reading a book if I know you've left X, Y, and Z out of it? Not. Not all yeah, sportsmen. You're thinking what else have you left out? Correct. Then? Yeah. And there's one in particular who's turned out two or three books, and I just know that the actual bits that if he included them. He would never need to write another book because it would be a bestseller, but he's never going to go down that road because he might incriminate himself. Okay, so thanks for that. Let's move back to the... Thank you. We've, we've got through <laughs> just a little bit. This might have to be done in two parts. Um, so we'll leave... Um, there's a John Gregory um, funny focus, so they actually call it a funny focus. And if you read through it, there's not actually much funny. Now, it does mention Pippa D parties. I had, to, I had to check what a Pippa D party was. Did you know what a Pippa no. D party was? Yeah, you're shaking yeah. your head. You know what a Pippa yeah. party From what I can gather, it's like um, a Tupperware party, except it's for children's clothes. Is that yeah. about right? About right, aye. Yeah. There were, there were various parties like that, and I can't remember the names for them all, but some, some sometimes you'd, you'd have your Tupperware party, mm. you'd have your Pippa party, you'd have something else, which I remember from a, what I remember was women's underwear, right? <laughs> and, then, and then you would have another one where it was like, Towels and blankets and sheets and yeah. and all that and pillowcases and all that kind of stuff. But I, what I do remember is being shunted away to my grands <laughs> or Manny Mary's whenever these parties were because there seemed to be a you know why why would you need to drink as much alcohol when all you're doing is buying a box from my cornflakes? <laughs> I never yeah. quite get into that. It's just an excuse. Really, it was just an excuse, excuse exactly. So um, now. Actually, through it, I don't think there's that many humorous ones, but I have read a previous one in a different magazine where he was quite funny, so I'll give them a benefit of the doubt here. Um, so we're moving on to... There's well, a big... I was, what, I, what I noticed in the, the John Gregory one, well, the, the question TV show you always switch off, mm-hmm. which you were talking earlier on about turning the, turning the TV off on Christmas Day. Well, I grew up, the TV was always on. I just think it's an unusual question for now, but the TV was always on in my house, apart from... For some reason, my dad's turned off a, a TV show called Angels, which was about, about nurses. nurses. For some reason, we sat for half an hour with nothing, no TV on. My dad would read a book. But uh, <laughs> interestingly, the TV show he says that he would... He would Ever since the court case. <laughs> <laughs> the TV show he said he would switch off was On The Move. Now, I hadn't heard of that, mm. but I looked it up, and it was an adult literacy, literacy. show. And it was Bob Hoskins Correct. was in it. Uh, and it was, there was one episode on YouTube. Bob Hoskins is in it and Martin Shaw, yeah. uh, that really rugged, shall, sexy shall, Martin Shaw. Shall we give the, the fact about Bob Hoskins, if I'm remembering correctly? What's that? He was the first ever James Bond. Was that Bob, Bob Holness? I'm Bob thinking Holness. Holness. Yeah, don't worry, we can cut that bit out and it makes it sound as if can I know what I'm talking about. Can we have a B for bins, please, Bob? <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, anyway, so, I thought, so Bob, Bob Hoskins plays a kind of uh, a, a removal man right. who struggles with reading and, and reading and writing. And it, it's a great. Movie. It used to be. It used to be in the. Um, it used to be in the wee sort of five minute slot after the lunchtime news. Right. 
and at weekends at different places. It, it basically was introduced. Do you remember the the health and safety kind of messages mm-hmm. you got about sailing and and yeah, you know and, and, like, yeah. and all that like, kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. And it used to fill those slots, and and there were books that you could get at the library if you were struggling. If you you know, as you were saying, adult literacy, which again was, it still is to a certain extent, but adult literacy back then was something that people were really embarrassed about. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I remember, and I, I, I remember a guy, right? Okay, this is going back to around about this period in time. The guy couldn't read and write, and he got a job in the engineering place that I worked as as a runner. Now, that's fine, but if, if you're a runner, you have to go and go for guys' breakfast in the morning. So if you get 17 rolls of sausage, 16 rolls of bacon, 14 rolls of egg, you have to be able to add all of these up yeah. and write them down as what you as what you want. And the, the poor guy struggled. So he would have these real, he would have little signs that he would do. And that was like, yeah. that was like an egg. So it was literally a wee egg. Square sausage was a square, right? A rectangle was, was bacon. But cruelly, they nicknamed them one and one. Because when he counted it all up, he went one and one's two and one is three and one. And that was how he counted these things. Yeah. He just couldn't randomly count right. things up. But one of the guys, when he was working away, actually started teaching the guy how to do it. Mm-hmm. Because he was actually he, he was actually embarrassed that he had actually laughed at this guy's deficiencies right. and thought, but there's nobody actually else left or nobody to help this guy as well. So you found out yourself who who could yeah. read and write, yeah. but not always in the in the in the, the best of circumstances. I think I think you know I, I don't have experience of it, but I think maybe you didn't know about it unless you had the problem. It was like it, was it, was, like it, was, it wasn't something you thought well, he might not be able to read and write. Yeah. He may not, you know, I I don't ever remember thinking that because it just you assumed at the time everybody could yeah. because you could. That's right. So, you know, it's, it's, there's obviously, there's, it's not a noticeable effect from it. Well, one, one, one of my friends is Kenny Logan, and Kenny's yeah. dyslexic. And Kenny says his, his biggest achievement, two, his two biggest achievements in life, one was sort of mastering dyslexia, and the second one was beating his wife on Strictly Come Dancing, <laughs> right? So, but again, when, when he said once he'd learned to read, it was like, whoosh, a new world. I mean, it's still great amusement when he sends you text messages every now and again. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is that that he conquered it, yeah. and he's in a he's in a place where he can conquer it, and society's in a place where they want to conquer it. Whereas back then, with yeah. on the move, I mean, that was that was a trailblazer. Mm-hmm. So we'll take a look. There's a page eleven with a so we're on like page eleven of fourteen hundred. Oh. <laughs> um, I've got a photograph of Gordon Mayer. Um, now, Gordon Mayer was a left winger um, who was born in December 57, so he, he was 61. Um, he was at Notts County from 76 through to 84, then went to Lincoln City. He had spent some time at Motherwell and he played at Clyde Bank as well before um, Air United. Um, now, apparently in 2008, he was working in a superstore in Bells Hill, um, and there's a relatively famous quote he says, it's very different from football and not the way you think it'll work out. 
which I think is a bit of an understatement, you know, to be playing down in England at the top level for so long. I mean, he was a key player for County on the, the rise to yep. the first division yep. and he played in the top flight, scored nine goals. So, you know, he was a was a bit of a player. Um, and when he came to Clyde Bank, I remember, and I think this is generally wingers, um, Wingers, very few wingers are consistent. Oh yeah, it's like they, it's like they, they deliver all the time, and you know there's a frustration that fans have with them. Oh, they, they, but you want a winger who will keep going and keep going. You know they may not get past a defender, not get past a defender, not get past a defender, but that one time they get past could lead to something. So you can't knock these sort of players. They're, they're going to have their good games. They're going to have their bad games. And I think for me. When I actually saw him, he was one of those players. He was either switched on, in which case, Clybank, you knew we're going to get a result, a good result that day, or he was switched off, and it was like, well, you know, basically, we're a, we're a man down. But even at the highest level, that applied. Mm-hmm. Wingers themselves knew if they were going to have a good day yeah. or they weren't. I, I, I mean, I remember the guy I mentioned earlier on, David Cooper. Mm-hmm. David Cooper in the game against Norway in 1890, take us to the World Cup finals. So all we needed was a draw, yeah. and famously, thanks to Jim Leighton, all we got was a draw, right? <laughs> but the fact was that 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 Coop tried to beat the guy in the first couple of minutes. And the guy stuck his leg out, and the yeah. ball went for a throw. And at that point, David knew it was not going to be his night. Now he's only tried he's only tried to beat yeah. the guy once, but it was almost like nah. I, I'm, I think that, that's that's a good point. I think. It happens early. Yeah, it's it, you. You don't very. You don't seldom see a winger come into the game, mm-hmm. you know, and start. Unless unless something happens to who they're up against, or maybe they change wings or something like that. But it's it's like pretty early. I know how many times you're at a game and you think, nah, it's not going to be his day, and you can tell that or straight off. Especially the bat. with wingers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and I think, I think the thing with wingers is you have got you've got to have watched football for a wee while and at a certain level to appreciate the kind of mindset of the winger. Mm-hmm. I mean, today in football, teams have, teams, some teams have wingers, other teams have wide guys yeah. who will start wide and then cut in the way. Oh, you've also got the full-backs who come overlap. That wasn't really a thing in the past. Correct. But, you had the... but it was, it was um, I, I think the, the whole the whole confidence thing of wingers is so just so fickle. Yeah, and I think it's 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 a position. Like, I mean, you've got a goalkeeper that's like nothing else in the park, and I think wingers are a bit like that as well. It's it's like you you what you have to work in is a lot a different space. I mean, you're you're pretty much normally quite tight to the wing, and then all you've got is that bit inside. That's right. And if you don't make that work, then you're going to be stuck out in that edge while the game's going on. So I, I think it's a it's a very difficult position. Gordon Mayer was one of those players. Um, when he was on fire, he was on fire. I mean, I think it didn't help his name. Sort of led to his nickname, which was Nightmare. You know, <laughs> which was a bit cruel at times. But I think at other times um, it was. And he was. It was like Alistair's story when he was ca- captain of the Scotland cricket team and. Played particularly slow innings. His nickname became Bedtime. <laughs> so. I love ones like that. I love ones that which the um, the fits all. Fits all. Yeah, yeah the one size. size. Yeah. I, that's just. I mean, th- th- those are those are brilliantly <laughs> thought out nicknames. Um, but since we're here talking about Gordon Mayer, I think it's only right to bring up. Yeah, certainly. The, the game 
which for me was the greatest football game I've ever been to. So last nine, 11th of May, 1991, um, last game of the season, and Partick Thistle come to Clyde Bank, take a bowie. Um, Thistle take the lead. Clyde Bank get a couple of goals, it's 2-1 at half time. Now at this point, Gordon DL and Kenny Day are both fighting for the, the daily record golden boot, and they're both on... Well, I think I think DL was in twenty nine or something, and Edie was on twenty six, yeah. something like that. So, if you get to thirty goals, you get a thousand pound and the daily record golden boot. Uh, create yeah. a champagne as well. Yeah, I think the champagne. So two one at half time. At this point, Kennedy hasn't scored. We and, come, we come out. And Kennedy apparently never has never scored a professional hat trick in his career up to that point. Mm. So as as Tom's alluded to, that changed in the second half. So we came out. And this man here, Gordon Mayer, was absolutely instrumental that day. I've never seen... I mean, we basically pummeled Partick Thistle for that second half. And and it was it was really strange. So, so Kennedy then scored the hat-trick, and I've never seen a team try and get yeah. a, a player to score a goal as much. We were missing, we were chances, it was, you know, saved, blah, blah, blah. And then a couple of minutes from the end, it comes in, Kennedy, header, goal, 7-1, four goals... He gets his thousand pound and the daily record golden boot, and as Tom says, a crate of champagne. But on top of that, I believe that the Partick Thistle players were meant to be going on holiday straight after the game. But Jim Lambie was incensed and he cancelled their John holiday. John Lambie, sorry, Jim Lambie. I'm, 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 I'm getting carried away this oh, yeah. <laughs> So, you know, I think I spot, we, we chatted with Andy Murdoch, who was a, the party goalkeeper a while back, and he, and he mentioned the fact that, you know, it ruined our holiday. Um, but Gordon Mayer, that, that was one of the games. And I think he also, there was um, just not long into the next season, we had the same result away to Morton. Yeah. Um, so we beat that, and I think he played that game as well. So, you know what? It shows you there what the, if you like, what the carrots were in football. Mm. That's nineteen ninety one, a thousand quid, yeah. a trophy, a case of champagne. Yeah. What would it take now, for a newspaper to put up a prize that guys would actually be interested yeah. in winning? Yeah, yeah. So again, it's another week, another week kind of niche, and another, uh, you know, kind of special award that that, that newspapers have lost. It's going out the mm. game. Because yeah. because because players are earning more than the newspapers can ever provide for. Them, yeah. So um, just I think we're probably going to have to. Would you mind coming back another time <laughs> and go through the rest of this? Because I mean we've put the work in, so we might as well. Um, what I'd just like to say. So as part of the podcast, um, we are we do we're hoping to do twelve episodes in a season, and for each season, I mean that season's our season, not the football season. So. 12 episodes and for each season we're going to partner up with a charity and you know we want it to be a charity that wouldn't normally get access to a great deal of support or funds or um, you know things like that so Back On Side is a charity which we've, we've partners, partnered with um, for this season um, and I'm just going to read through what they do so they say here in the UK one in four people will experience a mental health illness each year Mental health includes a person's emotional, psychological and social well-being. An obvious widespread problem, yet it's estimated that only a quarter of sufferers receive ongoing treatment, leaving the majority of the UK population tackling these debilitating issues on their own. Here at Back On Side, we have recognised this ongoing dilemma and are determined to rebuild a society where there are no young person or adult 
is left tackling mental health problems alone. So they, they do a great job supporting um, young people, adults with mental health problems. Um, there is a, a, a lot of the, the support comes through sport. Um, they were actually one of the, the sponsors when myself and Robert Burns did the, the Juniors Legends Tournament uh, during the summer. So they do an absolutely fantastic job. And what we're going to do, so we're going to have a donate button for the podcast that I'll, I'll send out on Twitter. And for each pound, one pound that you donate, so you can donate a pound, you can donate a hundred pound, um, but a pound's fine. Um, for every pound, it's essentially an entry to a raffle. And when we draw that, the winner will get the original magazine that we've just spoke about. We'll get the super size version that we're using as well. And maybe I'll throw in a couple of good goodies from my collection as well. So look out for that. But support back on side as well. We'll be um, sharing their, their Twitter account and any websites and that on, on Twitter as well. So absolutely fantastic. And if there's anything that you'd like to have a wee plug for... No, I'll 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 have a wee chat with you later, and I'll contribute some uh, some bits and pieces as well to mm-hmm. any raffles or uh, uh, you're having. I've got one or two books. <laughs> Sign of course. Yeah, listen, it's Christmas. It's Christmas, so you know if you want to give them a wee shout out, then by all means go for it. No, the, well, the, book, the books are out. Um, my name's Doddy. Um, is 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 out now in paperback version, and the world according to Doddy is. You know, really picking up after the BBC documentary went out mm-hmm. about him um, the other evening. So will that still be on the iPlayer? It's still Christmas? on. It's still on the iPlayer. It's still to be aired late at night as well on BBC Scotland, and it is going to be network on the uh, Saturday, the fourteenth of December. Um, at the old uh, 115 slot that used to be for boxing from Bethnal Green for those that can remember Grandstand <laughs> it's uh, it's Doddy who's uh, uh, one more one more try is, is going to be broadcast again then and it's, it'll be network but it is on the iPlayer and I have to say the returns you get on iPlayer or anything that goes online these days is quite astounding I mean, people say, oh, you don't get the same viewers on, on TV. You might not, but when people can watch it their, your le- or their leisure, mm-hmm. it's absolutely incredible. I yeah. mean, the, the, the bit that when Doddy made the announcement uh, after, you know, a matter of months, I mean, watched three million times. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, and you just, you don't have three million viewers in Scotland at any one time. Yeah, I can't, I can't even imagine that. Maybe we will soon. I don't know. But <laughs> we'll certainly try. <laughs> if, if I can shut up long enough, we can do it all in the one night. I'll have no chance then. So. But, you know, thank you, Stuart, for, for, for joining us here. As I say, I would love to get you back again um, to, to go through the next third of this and maybe get you back a third time when we, we complete it. Um, and from Tom, thank you very much as well. Thank you. And... From us at Shoot the Breeze, thank you everybody for for listening. Um, Please continue to support ourselves back on side and anybody else who needs support. So until next time, Shoot the Breeze. We'd like to say a special thanks to Pete Wiley of the Mighty Wah for use of Story of the Blues in the music for our show. You can catch up with Pete on www.petewiley.co.uk where you can check out the details of upcoming gigs and new music. Thank you, Pete.